there and welcome to the Archaeology News. It's going to be the, the last news for a couple of weeks as I disappear off to Turkey to see the amazing Gobekli Tepe return to, believe it or not, a site I used to excavate uh, back in the 1980s at uh, Tilihuyuk, now a couple of hundred feet underwater. And I'm uh, going to go to Diyarbaka as well. going to be fab. Um, Maggie and I are looking forward to it. Anyway, I think you'd like to get some news. So... Without further ado, can I say that this news is brought to you in partnership between Stone Pages and the British Archaeological Jobs and Resources website. All the stories have been collected from various sources and to view details in each story, including that all-important source, well, you'll have to go along to the Stone Pages website at news.stonepages.com. Now, what have we got? Well, we've got a, a new housing development at Stonehenge. Don't worry, that's not what it sounds. We've got the excavation of a Neolithic chamber tomb on Anglesey and the earliest complete example of human cancer ever found. We've got European hunter-gatherers. We discover what exactly they looked like with their dark skin and their blue eyes. And we unveiled the secrets of the Dutch Celtic field systems. Recent research on prehistoric buildings near Liverpool is highlighted, as is ancient pollen revealing how humans shaped forests. A very weird one, which, uh, well, I can't wait to find out more about, is an Iron Age woman's footless body found in Wiltshire. And no, I will not be doing the joke about footless and fancy free. We've got 3,000-year-old pottery kilns unearthed in Poland. And we finish off with a a story which, in fact, I uh, used as an example of what the new community archaeology could be like which I was uh, presenting as one of the, the co-presenters of a session at the Institute for Archaeologists Conference across in Glasgow, was about a Bronze Age fire pit being discovered in northeast Wales. Doesn't sound like much, but, well, you just have to wait until the end to find out. So let's get started. Back in 2006, the remains of Neolithic houses were discovered at Durrington Walls, close to Stonehenge in England. The remains were dated to 2500 BCE, which was approximately the same time that the Stonehenge sarsen stones were being erected. It's believed that the huts may have housed the people who built the site, or even acted as a wait for hotels for the visitors to the sacred site itself. Whilst being valuable archaeological finds in their own right, the house remains, together with information gained from similar dwellings found in Orkney, have provided enough information to enable reconstructions to be made. So a 60-strong team of volunteers is now nearing the completion of the erection of five dwellings adjacent to the new visitor centre. The replicas are as authentic as possible, even down to replicating the harvesting of coppiced hazel rods using flint axes. Susan Greeney, senior properties historian at English Heritage, is quoted as saying, One of the things we're trying to do at Stonehenge is to reconnect the ancient stones with the people that lived and worked in the surrounding landscapes. We hope these houses will give visitors a real insight into what life was like at the time that Stonehenge was built. The product of both archaeological evidence, educated guesswork, and guesswork even, and a lot of hard physical work. I am not averse to any of these, I have to confess. Now, my old friend uh, George Nash. Well, they're working away at the Welsh Rock Art Organisation in Wales. A team from the Welsh Rock Art Organisation has begun excavating at Innismond's least known Neolithic chamber tomb, Perthi Dwyn on Anglesey. 
in northwest Wales. One of 18 existing stone-chambered monuments that stand within a 1.5 kilometre of the Menai Straits. In 1723, the antiquarian Henry, Henry Rowlands reported three possible upright stones beneath the large capstone. However, by the time that the Reverend John Skinner sketched the site in 1802, it was in a ruinous state. The probable orientation of the entrance is east-west, with its concealed chamber at the western end. The team has so far uncovered several significant features, including areas of compacted stone cairn that would have once formed a kidney-shaped mound surrounding the chamber. Dr George Nash says that this discovery, along with the other excavated features, clearly shows the monument to be a portal dolmen, one of the earliest Neolithic monument types in Wales, dating back to around 3,500 BCE. More importantly, the architecture of the site appears to be a blueprint for other portal dolmen monuments within what is termed the Irish Sea Province. They're hoping that by the end of the excavation to gain a better understanding of the burial and ritual practices that went on at this site five and a half a thousand years ago. I can also tell you that uh, this is just uh, news just in, as they say, breaking news, that they have found a fragment of copper as well, so it might actually give us a real idea of that interesting transition between the Neolithic, the Stone Age, and the Bronze Age, where we have this mysterious sort of interface or the Chalcolithic Copper Age. Going to have to keep an eye on that one. Now, in 2013, the skeleton of an adult male was found in a tomb at the Amara West site in northern Sudan. Dated 1200 BCE, he's estimated to have been about 25 to 35 years old when he died. He was buried extended on his back within a painted wooden coffin and provided with a glazed faience amulet. The skeleton showed cancer metastasis on the collarbones, shoulder blades, upper arms, vertebra, ribs, pelvis and thigh bones. It's the oldest convincing complete example of the metastatic cancer in the archaeological record. Researchers say that the underlying infection seems a plausible explanation as the disease had plagued inhabitants of Egypt and Nubia since at least 1500 BC and is now recognised as a cause of bladder cancer and breast cancer in men. The discovery will help to explore underlying causes of cancer in ancient populations and provide insights into the evolution of cancer in the past. Even though it's one of the world's leading causes for death today, it remains almost absent from the archaeological record compared to other pathological conditions, giving rise to the conclusion that the disease is mainly a product of modern living and increased longevity. These finds suggest that a cancer is not only a modern disease, but was already present in the Nile Valley in ancient times. Co-author Dr Neil Spencer from the Department of Ancient Egypt and Sudan at the British Museum said that from footprints left on wet mud floors to the healed fractures of many ancient inhabitants, Amaro West is offering a unique insight into what was it like to live and die in Egyptian-ruled Upper Nubia 3,200 years ago. The tomb where the skeleton was found appears to have been used for high-status individuals from the town, but not the ruling elite themselves, based on the tomb's architecture and aspects of the funerary ritual, which blend pharaonic elements, burial goods, painted coffins, with Nubian culture, where there's a low mound to mark the tomb. The well-preserved pottery recovered from the tomb as well provides a date somewhere in the 20th dynasty, that's 1187 to 1064 BCE, a period when Egypt ruled Upper Nubia. 
enduring conflicts with Libya, the pharaohs such as Ramesses III were buried in the Valley of the Kings. Now, a study conducted by Carlos Lalueza Fox, a researcher for the Spanish National Research Council's Institute of Evolutionary Biology, says that the individual known as Labra 1, whose 7,000-year-old remains were discovered at Labra Arentero, a site in Spain, had, wait for it, blue eyes and dark skin. In 2012, a team of scientists recovered part of the genome of two individuals, the first of the European hunter-gatherers from the Mesolithic period. The two are not directly connected to current populations of the Iberian Peninsula, but were closer to current populations of northern Europe, such as Sweden and Finland, and Labra 1 has a common ancestor with the settlers of the upper Paleolithic site of Malta, located in Lake Baikal in, wait for it, Siberia. The Mesolithic period ended with the spread of agriculture and livestock farming from the Middle East. The arrival of the Neolithic period, with carbohydrate-based diets and new pathogens transmitted by domesticated animals, resulted in metabolic and immunological challenges that were reflected in genetic adaptation, such as the ability to digest lactose, which the Labra individual did not have. Dr. Laloez Fox notes the biggest surprise was that this individual possessed African versions in the genes that determine the light pigmentation of the current Europeans, indicating that he had dark skin. A researcher who works at the Institute of Evolutionary Biology in Barcelona adds that even more surprising was to find that he actually possessed the genetic variations that produce blue eyes in current Europeans, resulting in a unique phenotype in the genome that is otherwise clearly Northern European. Dr. Lowell's Fox concludes that there's a genetic continuity in the populations of Central and Western Eurasia. In fact, these data are consistent with the archaeological remains, as in other excavations in Europe and Russia, including the site at Malta. Anthropomorphic figures called Paleolithic Venuses have been discovered and recovered, and they are very similar to each other. Fascinating that we actually now have a, a clearer idea of just exactly what at least our Mesolithic ancestors looked like. Archaeological excavations have finally answered questions regarding the age and development of prehistoric fields enclosed by earthen ridges, known in the Netherlands as Celtic fields. Using optically stimulated luminescence, a technique that dates the last exposure to light or heat, a quartz mineral, so uh, sands for example, um, the archaeologist Jan uh, Arnoldsen from the University of Groningen determined that banks around the later prehistoric field plots were constructed more than 3,100 years ago and remained in use for hundreds of years. Arlnodusson's research indicates the banks were constructed of sods taken from the wet heathlands or stream valleys brought to the settlements mixed with dung and domestic refuge and then taken back to the field plots as manure. Rooting field weeds and discarding them at the field's edges gradually forms them into banks between the fields. Arnoldson says that the fields are one of the most extensive and visible types of archaeology in the Dutch landscape. The field complex, investigated by the Groningen Institute of Archaeology at uh, Lanteren, measured at least 210 hectares in prehistory. The banks were constructed around 1100 BCE, but were still increasing in height 700 years later, representing an agricultural landscape of unprecedented stability and durability. 
paleobotanical analysis. Oops, it is sorry for that. Paleobotanical analysis showed that barley, wheat, and flax were being cultivated. We now know the age of several banks and two Dutch Celtic fields. Yet the precise ways in which the Celtic field agriculture was ex- executed, uh, whether with the crop rotation, fallow periods, interspersed occupation, and whether Celtic fields in other parts of the Low Countries are similar, remains unclear. So guess what? This summer, 2014, he's going to be excavating another Celtic field system, this time within the landscape of the southern Netherlands. It's really worthwhile popping along to past horizons and putting in Celtic fields. Uh, You'll enjoy the amazing pictures of these uh, ancient agricultural enclosures. Now, 18 months ago, archaeologists found traces of two substantial buildings measuring between 4 metres and 6 metres across on a low sandy promontory in the valley of the River Alt at Lunt near Liverpool. That's up in uh, northwest England. Burnt timbers from one of them gave a date of about 5,800 BCE. Ron Cowell, curator of prehistoric archaeology at the Museum of Liverpool and his team, have been working to catalogue the site. Cowell remarks, What is surprising about the buildings at Lunt is that they use small sand ridges and banks in the landscape as part of the structure itself, which then extends outwards in curves of post holes and stake holes. This makes them appear much more architecturally sophisticated than the more usually found Mesolithic sites, which are mostly interpreted as small, ephemeral, temporary campsites. Both buildings seem to have multiple phases of use and it is possible the site was occupied for some time on a repeated semi-permanent basis. Coarse stone tools and finer worked flint have been recovered from inside the structures as well as a large amount of chert. According to Cowell, the nearest source of chert would have been at least 30 miles away in North Wales and even further, further if it was coming from Derbyshire. The site appears to have been flooded by about 5000 BCE after laying at the bottom of a shallow lake for several hundred years. It becomes inundated by the sea. Now, a new study of pollen samples from tropical forests in Southeast Asia suggests humans have shaped the landscape for thousands of years, finding signs of imported seeds, planted, cultivated, plants cultivated for food, and land clearance as early as 11,000 years ago, just around the age of the last ice age. Researchers led by paleoecologist Chris Hunt from Queen's University, Belfast, analysed existing data and examined samples from Borneo, Sumatra, Java, Thailand and Vietnam. Pollen offers an important key for unlocking the history of human activity. It can survive for thousands of years in the right conditions and paint a picture of vegetation over time. In the Calabit highlands of Borneo, for example, pollen samples dated to about 6,500 years ago contain abundant evidence of fire. Scientists know that specific weeds and trees that flourish in charred ground would typically emerge in the wake of naturally occurring or accidental blazes. But what Hunt's team found instead was evidence of fruit trees. This indicates that people who inhabited the land intentionally cleared it of forest vegetation and then planted sources of food in its place. It has long been believed that the rainforests of the Far East were virgin wilderness, where human impact had been minimal. This kind of research might provide powerful information for people who live in these forests today. According to Hunt, laws in several countries in Southeast Asia do not recognise the rights of the indigenous forest dwellers on the grounds that they are nomads and leave no permanent mark. The long history of forest management traced by these studies, he says, offers these groups a new argument in their case against eviction. 
Well, good luck to them. Now, ooh, this should be around at uh, Halloween, but it's not. It's Easter time. A skeleton of an Iron Age woman with her feet chopped off has been discovered in a field in Wiltshire. The remains were found along the A303 near West Noyle by archaeologists ahead of a new water main. Wessex Water said the woman's feet were found reburied alongside her, along with the, the skulls of at least two sheep or perhaps a goat lying next to her over her head. Peter Cox from AC Archaeology said, We're unsure why, but they must have had some link to beliefs at the time. Really? The female skeleton was found alongside the remains of a child, aged about 10, and two males, again from a different period, with sword wounds to their hips. Human remains from this period is extremely rare, indicating the long period of settlement that has occurred in the area. But, as Mr Cox is saying, we're very unsure about why the skeleton was found without her feet. Perhaps it was to stop her from rising up and walking amongst the living again. The bones have been removed from the site and they're going to be undergoing radiocarbon dating to determine more about her age and perhaps we can even find out more about where she actually comes from. Is she, for example, a local lass? Now, in Poland, archaeologists have discovered the remains of two Lusatian culture settlements during studies at Mochilewo. Valuable discoveries are two pottery kilns still containing the vessels, estimated to be around about 3,000 years old. The uniqueness of the kiln lies in the fact that inside the firing chambers there are several already fired vessels. Today, archaeologists on the site have recorded 40 other archaeological remains. Uh, Among them, the remains of a surface structure, storage pits and hearths from a prehistoric settlement. Several thousand pieces of pottery were excavated during the entire study, and scientists are currently working on putting them back together again. Among them is a very large storage vessel. What's more interesting, of course, are these vessels that are inside the kiln. They were probably left there uh, by the actual potter himself. But what's confusing me, of course, is why they never then cleared it out and reused the, the kiln itself. I think there's more to this than meets the eye. Now, to the story I was, I was telling you about, uh, it's a small thing, but it's, uh, as I say, a sign of the way that perhaps community archaeology, one of the ways, one, I, I should stress, one of the ways that community archaeology can uh, move ahead. A local group of amateur archaeologists made a discovery of the remains of a Bronze Age fire pit, thought to be about 4,500 years old, on the flanks of Mole Arthur in Wales. The find, unearthed by the Clovidian Range Archaeology Group, is said to be one of the first of its kind in northeast Wales and includes charcoal, which we were able to get dated to between 2617 to 2462 BCE. The group carried out geophysical surveys on the Iron Age hill fort and found a magnetic response on the northwest flank of the hill. Excavations revealed a waterlogged pit filled with burnt stones and a substantial amount of charcoal. The exact purpose of the site is not known, but of course experts, them, that won't stop them. And they suggest it could be anything from a cooking site to a fire for brewing alcohol or even the remains of a Bronze Age sauna. Sites such as this one are collectively known as burnt mounds and are usually found lying near to a watercourse. I've dug and seen many of them myself. On previous excavations on the hillside, the Clovidian Range Archaeology Group have found Neolithic and early Bronze Age flints, including a barbed and tanged arrowhead. The excavation was undertaken with the support of students from College Cambria and with the Clovid Powys Archaeological Trust in support as well. 
that is, if I, you would let me just have four seconds of uh, uh, your time, is I think really what it's all about, where we have a local archaeology group, which is going out and doing archaeology, which is not perhaps possible for uh, commercial archaeologists to do, but with support from students who are learning how to become archaeologists themselves, and in this case, the Clwyd Powys Archaeological Trust are giving the professional and commercial backup to the whole project. So it's it's a very rounded, holistic approach where if we do it properly, everybody is, believe it or not, a winner. So if you're excited and maybe thinking about wanting to get involved in archaeology, well, there's one place to go, and that's pasthorizons.com, where you'll be able to pop along to the world projects, see what's available from the uh, incredibly free to the, ooh, my goodness, that's quite a lot. You can also go along to badger, B-A-J-R.org, where you'll be able to find archaeological employment opportunities, as well as a calendar, library, and lots of other things as well. But remember, more can always be found at StonePages. That's news.stonepages.com. And you'll have to forgive me until um, the first week of May, I'm afraid, when I will be returning from Turkey. So until then, I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.